now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello and welcome to Finsider Radio. My name is MC Money. I'm joined here by serving the creepy soccer dad and House Shradamus. And uh, since we last came on the air talking to you last week with Tony Pauline, there have been numerous changes with the Miami Dolphins, a lot of changes, and it's an entire culture change, as many are calling it. In one week and a few days, as you're listening to this edition of Finsider Radio, last time we recorded, we had on the Miami Dolphins Jarvis Landry, we had Nadamakan Sue. We had Mike Pouncey. We had Julius Thomas. We had Jay Cutler. We had Lawrence Timmons. And now, 10 days later, 11 days later, 12 days later, 13 days later, whenever you're listening to this podcast days later, none of those players are on the team. I had tweeted Sutton and Houts before free agency began. I said, do not be surprised if there are many surprises coming your way as we were told to buckle up. And boy, has it been a time to buckle up and Dominican Sue leading the way with that big release, big cap it. We're going to touch on that in just a little bit, followed up by the previous trade following the previous trade of Jarvis Landry, which we all knew was probably coming, but we weren't quite sure when it was going to happen. And then of course, on Thursday morning, Mike Pouncey getting released. However, I do need to humble brag here and say, if you had been following me on Twitter, you would have known last week or a week and a half ago, that Mike Pouncey was on his way out, and it was only a matter of time before that happened. I know people don't believe me, but it is what it is. But, boys, your quick reaction before we really dive into it, just a few words to really sum up free agency thus far. I know as we're recording on a Thursday, free agency is only officially two days in, but in reality it started on Sunday when the legal tampering period began. Sutton, what do you got? This may not be the word you'd think I'd use to describe our situation, but I'm going to use the word buffet. And by that, I mean we have traded players. We have traded for players. We have released players. We've signed players. There's been a ton of different transactions on the board. A lot of huge names leaving us. Some reasonable names coming back to us. And what we're seeing here, and like we'll get into it in the show, the culture change that's taken place you can kind of see it as this big picture unfolds for everybody. It's kind of hard to see the whole plan and in individual transactions. But once, once you see the sum of the transactions and we're starting to get a larger body of what's, what the offseason plan is, man, you're, you're, you're seeing some clear themes here. And I think we'll get to that in the show. What do you think, Houts? Yeah, it's been like a roller coaster ride. I mean, you're trying not to get too attached to players, but – I and mean, we just saw Jarvis Landry and Don Kasu and now Mike Pouncey depart in Miami. And you touched on a little bit. There's a culture change going on down there. You don't know who was quite in charge before, but it seems like Adam Gase is kind of steering the ship. And I don't know what these players did in the locker room. They, they obviously did something. Maybe it was on the field, off the field. But they did something to rub Adam Gase the wrong way, uh, missed assignments, things like that. They keep saying how they want these football players who just – love the game of football and just go out there and grind. And you can kind of see that culture changing down there. 
for me as a fan, you just sit back and you realize, I mean, we all buy jerseys. We all sit there and we root for these players. But at the end of the day, it's all about the team. And no matter how much we all wanted Jarvis Landry to, to resign with Miami, I mean, $15 million per year, that, that wasn't happening. And Dom Gitsu, huge cap hit this year. That wasn't happening. And in my opinion, I would have much rather kept Jawan James like Miami did over Mike Pouncey. So you see these moves, you can kind of see the ups and downs that are taking place. And you see it looks to me that the Dolphins finally have a clear focus of what they're building upon. And for me, I'm excited. But at the same time, I'm a little bit hesitant to, you know, jump back in there, drink the Kool-Aid and, and think this team's untouchable. But it's a work in progress. And I'm definitely a lot happier than I thought I'd be after all these huge moves happen. And there's a lot of layers to unpack with the Miami Dolphins and all of their moves. And there's been so many moving parts. Obviously, Robert Quinn, the trade coming official, Albert Wilson coming over from, from the Kansas City Chiefs, Danny Amendola coming from the Patriots. We're going to dive into that later in the show. Let's first talk about Jarvis Landry and then the others with the culture change as well. And House and Sutton, you both mentioned it. And we all, as you said, House, we, we see just a little part of it on Sundays. And we don't really know what's going on in the building while they're there 8, 10, 12 hours a day while they're not there for the other part of the day, hanging out with other teammates, coaches, hearing information. It's, it's just like any other workplace in terms of gossip, in terms of not everybody liking each other, in terms of you know gossip getting out and clicks happening and words leaking all over the place. The only difference is it's a workplace that is filled with a bunch of millionaires, mostly, and a lot of testosterone in that building and in that locker room. But it all boils down to human nature and how they go about their lives. And the thing with Jarvis Landry is he displayed so much passion on Sunday afternoons, Sunday evenings, Monday nights, Thursday nights, whenever the Dolphins played football. I'm sure he was the same way in practice. We saw the reports come out that he wasn't always precise with his roots. We saw the reports come out that he wasn't always the best in the classroom. But the Dolphins were willing to overlook that, let's say. and try to find a way to get him more engaged where it mattered the most and really pick their battles with him. Early December, they offered a contract worth about $13 million, a little more than that. Don't know the guarantees. Jarvis Landry declined that offer. The Dolphins still wanted to sign him as they went back and forth so many times as to whether or not they would keep him. We talked about this ad nausea before, and we won't dive into that again. But when the, uh, Jarvis Landry declined that contract, he continued to play out the rest of the season, of course. But the game against the Buffalo Bills week 17 when Jarvis got ejected, I've been told that was a tipping point for the Miami Dolphins brass in terms of we're not bringing him back. Um, you know, it's it's hard to think that one incident can really tip the scales. But if you're on the fence already about it and that thing happens and it pisses you off and Adam Gase said he's been as mad and embarrassed as he's ever been as a coach in the NFL and then you know something's up. So it looked like, you know, right after that game, the writing was on the wall for Jarvis. Jarvis Landry, of course, traded to the Cleveland Browns for numerous draft picks. We're going to jump right into that compensation in a little bit. A lot of people are upset about the value that he got or didn't get. But we're going to talk about why he did and why he didn't get what he got for the Dolphins, let's say. Ndamuk and Sue, another guy, played hard, practice and games. But the fact of the matter is he only cared about himself. He was a loner. He struggled to be a leader and he was making the most money on the team. And as I sit here and think about it, I kind of get upset. And I just think back to my own job and my boss is the highest paid person in the company. Of course, 
the superintendent. I work for a school district. And if my boss was a silent leader, how well do you think the organization would be run? Probably not very well. And if the second highest paid person on the team, which would have been Jarvis Landry after his contract, or still probably Ryan Tannehill, that's a discussion we'll dive into way later in the show. But okay, so third highest, if they're a silent leader too, and your second person in charge or the highest paid is a silent leader, and then you go down the line and there's more silent leaders after more silent leaders, an organization is not going to run effectively because nobody's going to know who to look for and who to look to in times of trouble and in times of panic and times of desperation. So for me and for the Dolphins, it was a way to shed these salaries, to shed these players who were not natural leaders, who didn't speak up, who didn't rally the troops, who didn't bring the locker room together when it needed it the most. And they moved on from him. They brought in other people that we'll talk about soon. But how Sutton, you both work for companies. Is it rare from what you've seen where the highest paid people in the companies aren't natural leaders? Yeah, there's no business that's going to function if that's the case. And we see it with the Miami Dolphins, like you said. And I'm going to highest paid player on the team, making more than most quarterbacks in the league. And he was all about himself. You see it with his free agency tour. He's all about the money. He doesn't care about the scheme. He doesn't care about what position he might play. He just wants the money, and that's how he's always been. It's a business to him. He goes out there. He does a hell of a job. He's a top three defense tackle in the league, but at the end of the day, he's not a leader. Jarvis Landry goes out there, all the fire in the world, passion, and then he gets in that face of the Bills player, a huge thing at the end of the game, and I do believe that that was a tipping point. I think you're we're on the fence about whether or not to re-sign him, and then that happens, and it's just too much. It, they get back into the game. Things are starting to turn their way. They have a chance to win it. And then that happens. It just derails everything. So I can see why Adam Gase felt the way he did. And Mike Pouncey, I mean, the guy's been injured. He's been one of the higher paid players on the team. Injury history, the whole uh, free Aaron Hernandez hat, that's just – that was just stupid. And then there's just the play on the field, and he's never really lived up to that, that second contract that he signed. So you can see where the Miami Dolphins are changing their culture, changing the direction of the team. and. You see with the free agent acquisitions they're getting, they're getting these guys who, I mean, we don't know, again, what goes on behind the scenes. But these guys seem to love the game of football. They're guys that are going to go out there and contribute. Uh, for Jarvis Landry, for instance, I mean, he's wanted to make $16 million next year on the franchise tag. I mean, you picked up Danny Amendola, you picked up Albert Wilson, and you got two picks in exchange for whether or not you thought those picks were fair compensations, one thing, but Miami played their hands, and that's just the way things were. But at the end of the day, if you're not a leader, that's what that's what these coaches want to see, and that's what's going to ultimately build this culture, this winning football culture that you see with so many teams in Philly. I mean, Carson Wentz, you could see it with him when they brought in new players, whether it be Alshon Jeffrey or some of those other guys. I mean, he took control of that team, and he was the leader. And when you got a guy like Ndam Gatsu, Jarvis Landry, Mike Pounce, those guys getting paid huge money, and they're going out there and maybe performing on the field every now and then, such in Pouncey's part but not being the leader in the locker room, that's a huge deal. And Miami saw that the salaries they were making weren't leading up to these wins or the expectation of a culture change in the locker room. And ultimately, that's why they got kicked out of Miami. Yeah, living up here in Cleveland, I get asked a lot about the Jarvis Landry trade, how I feel about it. And, you know, even after a couple of days from when it's happened, I'm still kind of processing everything. And it's a little easier to digest just because – we know who we've 
sign to replace him. My concern with a wide receiver group now is not that we've lost Jarvis because I do think some of that underneath production can be uh, replicated with who we have. But my concern becomes who's playing on the boundary and are we going to trust Devontae Parker and are we going to now move Albert Wilson to the outside? Are we going to be playing Jakeem Grant outside? Uh, Kenny Stills outside, you know, um, maybe it's a moot point because we're going to be doing bunch packages and, and using more interchangeable pieces, but the limited variety of the wide receiver group, I think scares me a little bit because it seems like we're all kind of short, kind of quick twitch guys. Um, Kenny can get deep, but I'm not sure that we have the variety that I want to see out of the wide receiver group right now. So we'll see, uh, how the off season changes that narrative, but let's go back to Sue. And I heard an interesting word used to describe Sue and that was a mercenary. And that's what we signed when we got him. And that frankly, at the time, it's what we needed. We were kind of a soft finesse organization at that time. We were, you know, the zone blocking, uh, uh, we were kind of afraid of the trenches and that's why we're getting dominated by teams like Baltimore uh, because they just dominate us in the trenches. So then we sign a guy like Sue, and that was – it was money well spent, I thought, for the for the years that we had him. He produced at a high level and did everything that he possibly could from an individual standpoint. The, the, the point that we're trying to make, though, and what House was saying as well, is I, I'm sure all of us have either been a part of a team – or work at a place where you basically know someone is using that platform as a stepping stone for something else. And yes, you can be civil with that person. You can even get along really well with that person. You might go out and have drinks with that person and really like that person. But at the end of the day, are you going to invest any professional time in developing the nuances of becoming better teammates and working in synthesis. So that's, that's my worry there. And, and, and having played basketball my whole life, you know, being part of those team dynamics, when you know someone's not into it for the right reasons, and yes, I'm going to put it in those terms because I don't think playing for money um, is the best thing. I, I, I know for players that's certainly important. But at the end of the day, that's not what makes teams catalyze into something larger than individual parts. And I think it was clear that Sue was kind of limiting that a little bit. Now, from a financial standpoint, I don't know how that's going to help us that much until uh, when the, when the Ju- June 1st uh, rollover happens. Um, and my point that I want to make with all this is, was, is with Mike Pouncey. Okay, Mike Pouncey has been, and I'm sorry, I I don't mean to be this as a dig for someone that's heading out of our organization. I wish the best of luck to him, but we've been kind of misled for many years with him in terms of the talent level and the availability that he has. It's always an injury and or just poor performance from my from my standpoint. Uh, we'll talk more about Daniel Kilgore later. I think that's a lateral move. I think we're going from one average center to another average center. But this average center that we have is going to be able to practice on a regular basis. 
which I cannot underestimate that point because with a group like the offensive line, you need reps and practice and Pouncey not being there, I think was a detriment to the offensive line and having someone in the interior uh, to couple with sitting, we're going to have a nice stable interior group for the first time in a long time. And we're going to be able to practice together. And I think we're going to be able to see the rewards on the field. There's so much, and I said this before, there's so much to unpack, and there really is. And we could spend three, four hours on this show. Obviously, you'd all tune out after the first 45 minutes to an hour, so that's not going to happen. So we're going to try to cover as much as we possibly can. And it's, you know, you look at this team, and I, I don't even know where to begin. It's it's a huge mess, Um where you have to go back in history and unpack everything. And I want to share with everyone listening a a series of tweets that I put out the other day. And it kind of traced back all the way back to 2005, which is when, how far back you need to look at it to see where all this started for the Miami Dolphins. Now in 2005, Nick Saban was hired because Wayne Huizenga, the owner of the pre- the previous owner of the Miami Dolphins, wanted to make a big splash after Dave Wanstead couldn't do anything with Jimmy Johnson's roster. Nick Saban bolted two years later, and Wayne Huizenga hired Cam Cameron, the hottest coordinator in the NFL, to bring an exciting offense to Miami and get to get fans energized. We were energized as hell. Then the draft came, and he selected Ted Ginn Jr. and his family over Brady Quinn. We don't know what Brady Quinn would have done in Miami. Uh, You can say, oh, he was a bust somewhere else, but circumstances do matter in the NFL and coaching does matter. We won't spend too much time on that part, though. After Cam Cameron wins only one game and the hero Greg Camarillo catches a slant to beat the Ravens in overtime, Wayne Heitzanga is fed up and promises to change the structure of the Miami Dolphins. Because of Cam Cameron's failures, and his inability to hire someone, and Wayne Heisinger's inability to hire someone stable, he brings in Bill Parcells, who then brings in Jeff Ireland and Tony Sperano. Now, after Heisinger sells the team and Parcells leaves, and now there is no one to hold the glue together between Ireland and Sperano, Ross comes in and tries to recruit Jim Harbaugh behind Sperano's back. Damage is now done between Sperano and Ireland. Ross keeps Ireland and hires Joe Philbin, even though Ireland wanted Mike McCoy. It doesn't take long before Philbin and Ireland start feuding with each other as there is no one there to oversee them. It comes to a showdown, and Ross picks Philbin over Ireland. Now they conduct a general manager search where everyone drops out of the race because Stephen Ross is forcing them to stick with Joe Philbin for at least one year. So they settle on Dennis Hickey, their probably fifth, sixth, or seventh choice. Hickey goes on to draft a ton of small school players in his first draft, although he did draft Jarvis Landry in the second round. The first draft was in 2014, and the franchise was a mess because Dennis Hickey could not handle all the responsibilities of being a general manager. Because of that, Ross brings in Mike Tannenbaum to become executive vice president of football operations in 2015. As you'd imagine, Hickey doesn't last much longer. Tannenbaum essentially takes over, and they feud during free agency in the draft process. One of the most famous feuds was when Mike Tannenbaum and Dennis Hickey argued in the draft room about who they wanted. Tannenbaum wanted Jordan Phillips. Hickey wanted Amir Abdullah. Funny you fast forward to today, and it looks like Jordan Phillips may have been the right pick. 
Hickey was castrated and was fired in 2016. Now, with Tannenbaum in full control of the Dolphins and Joe Philbin squarely on the hot seat, he decides to go full Tannenbaum and signs Indominus Sue, who, by the way, didn't even meet with Joe Philbin before he signed his contract. As you may have imagined, Philbin wasn't exactly thrilled with this signing. Philbin ends up getting fired during the season after Nadamik and Sue and others start revolting against the coaches. Steven Ross begins searching for coaching candidates and quickly becomes fixated on hiring Adam Gase. He gets his man a few months later. From there, a new coach with a new staff who has a much different philosophy than Joe Philbin comes in, tries to retool the offense in year one with varied results year two as a defense, but after year one and making the playoffs, Gase gets more control in the organization. With Gates now having more say in Tannenbaum slowly being pushed into the back, Gates wants to purge the roster of talented players because of bad deals made by Tannenbaum have caught up to the Miami Dolphins. Additionally, these aren't Gates' guys, and he wants to do things differently. Every decision that was made after Saban left all tied into the previous decision. That's how a bad franchise never gets better. Before I ask your thoughts, boys, before we go into our next segment, proper way to have done this, Heizanga tried to do it right by bringing in Bill Parcells and starting fresh. You can't fault Heizanga, but he brought in Parcells because of the previous failures. But what Steven Ross should have done when he came on board as the owner of the team, once he decided that he was going to fire Philbin or Ireland, he should have fired them both and should have brought in a strong general manager who he could have gotten, who would have hired his own coach. That's the only way a franchise can totally reset. Steven Ross likes to try to make people happy. There was even a report that he wanted to have Jeff Ireland take a lesser role in the organization because he liked Jeff Ireland, the man. And Ireland said, no, why would I want to do that for? Take a pay cut and take a lesser role? No, it's not happening. So Ross likes to make everyone happy, tries to find compromise in everything, and it just doesn't work. So Sutton, I know I gave a long history there. I didn't even touch on how the Dolphins passed on Drew Brees, how the Dolphins made some crazy selections in the drafts over the years. But your reaction, you know, how has that all came into today? And is it finally catching up 13 years later? (laughs) I mean, you're basically asking why have the Dolphins sucked forever? And that's a loaded question. There's a lot to disentangle here. There's probably 20 different conversations that we need to have. What I'll say is that the front office is really just a microcosm of the team. So if the team is eight and eight, you're trying to identify the weakest parts in the link. But when you're identifying the weakest part of the link, you have to take into account the team dynamics at play. And when you have so many different parts working on the same thing, so let's just say the roster, for example, the way that certain people have worked together to look at the roster has even changed over time. So even the systems that the front office have to approach certain goals and and hallmarks uh, during the off season have changed over time. And I think eventually that, takes a toll a little bit and I, I I think you you look to the Cleveland Browns how often parts change places and yes if something not is not working you make changes it's there's no sense in keeping consistency if something's not working 
my main point is that it's really it can be very difficult to identify where the problem is because from my perspective some of the research that i've seen is that some of the problem and perhaps even most of the problem is simply with something called ego um and i don't mean ego as in being a selfish person that's a misleading term i mean ego in the psychological sense the ego is that thing that protects protects yourself from being embarrassed by things, basically. And so you are trying to make sure that any transaction that you could uh, be seen to be used in a negative light, try to counter that. And it becomes an enterprise and self-preservation and wanting to keep your job. And what are you willing to do to keep your job? And what, what lengths are you willing to go to? And that's where it gets really messy in front offices because the competition is so fierce. So it's really, on one hand, it's really hard to to see um, how how each individual thing kind of blew up into what we're having in this off season right now. But you can absolutely try to connect the dots here, and what you can see is just a constantly changing set of beliefs and philosophies and if there's anything that we can do with this off season it's just try to get centered again and hopefully this culture change that we've been talking about is going to help us accomplish that yeah i think cannot touched on and you did as well sutton but if you're not going to sit there and completely blow up i mean you, you can't keep patchwork in it you can't bring in a a coach and and keep a gm or have a GM inherited coach, it just doesn't work out. And I mean, you see it time and time again, and it's just not a healthy way to build a franchise. And I think Miami's finally moving in the right direction. I'm not sure Mike Tannenbaum's that guy. I, I really don't feel that he is. But Adam Gay starting to have more control over the team, more control over the roster. And you're starting to see a purge these players who, I mean, over the last three years, Miami went 6-10, and 10-6, and six and 6-10. Six and 10. So they, they weren't really winning games. I think the playoff – push it 10 and 6 I mean that was that was a fluke in my opinion the schedule was easy things kind of fell Miami's way I, I think things would have been different if Tannehill was there but at the end of the day a lot of that had to do with that easier schedule so I mean Gay saw that he foresees him being on the hot seat maybe not this year but in the near future if, if things don't change so he got rid of those big contract players who in my opinion the Dolphins can play without I think Gase feels that the team can continue to move on and move forward in a similar if not better kind of way with without them so it, it is not a healthy way to continue this patchwork that the Dolphins have done and I think that's why they've been so bad for so long and at the end of the day what Gates is doing here the, these free agent acquisitions I mean this has been one of the better more underrated free agencies that we've seen in quite some time in my opinion they don't they didn't make the splashy moves they didn't sign those big name players but you can clearly see a vision here, and I'm excited to see what continues to happen as free agency moves forward and we head into the draft. When we come back, we're going to tell you how the Dolphins are rebooting their culture and rebooting their locker room in a way that may not seem typical of many franchises. 
now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. And we're back here on Finsider Radio, and we just went through a loaded segment in terms of talking about how the Dolphins have been quite dysfunctional, not only last year and the past year before that, but also over the past 13 years. But it seems now we're on a different path here in Miami. Before free agency started, I said, don't be surprised if the Dolphins don't necessarily get the best players at positions, but instead get the smart players, get ones who know how to play football, get ones who love to play football, get ones who are leaders. And the Dolphins did exactly that. Wide receiver group, they picked up Albert Wilson and Danny Amendola. They picked up Josh Sitton, the guard. They picked up, in a trade, Daniel Kilgore after releasing Mike Pouncey. Not splashy moves but moves that are going to help this team become better and help Adam Gase coach this team the way he wants to. Albert Wilson, 56 targets last year with the Kansas City Chiefs, 42 receptions, 554 yards, three touchdowns. Albert Wilson wasn't a full-time player in Kansas City because, of course, they had so many weapons on that team. But he's full of potential, and he's full of so much potential that his former coordinator, Matt Nagy, now the head coach of Chicago, wanted him bad. Albert Wilson came home to Miami. In comparison, Jarvis Landry last year, 156 targets, 112 receptions for 987 yards, nine touchdowns, four interceptions went thrown his way. Obviously, a lot more targets, a lot more receptions, so the difference is there. Danny Amendola, 80 targets, 61 receptions, 659 yards, two touchdowns, Wilson, we don't know where he's going to be, whether it's in the slot or on the outside. But Wilson is a speedster. He's going to be a fast player. He's also going to be able to get underneath coverages and maneuver his way around. Amendola, same way. Amendola, there are some health concerns. But he's clutch. He knows how to make plays when they matter the most. He has great hands. He's a possession receiver. When you look at this wide receiver core, Houts, with the additions of Wilson and Amendola, the odd man out looks to be Leontay Carew. Devontae Parker, they're probably giving one more chance unless they decide to trade him during the draft. Jakeem Grant's going to get some more opportunities. You got Kenny Stills leading the way as well. But, I mean, I see what the Dolphins are doing in terms of trying to get better guys in a locker room. But at the same time, if I'm an opposing defense, this wide receiver core does not scare me. What do you say, Houts? Yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, for me, it kind of opened my eyes when I saw – I can't remember who tweeted it, but they came out and they said, for Jarvis Landry, the Dolphins pretty much got Danny Amendola, Albert Wilson, and a fourth and seventh round pick. I mean, when you look at it in that perspective, you see the money that you saved. I mean, it, it, that's a pretty big deal. Whether or not it it shows on the field, that's, that's to be answered. And, I mean, you're right. This receiving core, you got Devontae Parker, who we've all been waiting years and years for him to turn into that number one wide receiver. The only way I'm trading him on draft day is if it's to move up and get, you know, a quarterback like, uh, you know, that guy, Baker Mayfield, that'd be cool. But I, in my opinion, I'm keeping Devontae Parker. I think he can 
develop into that number one wide receiver. I think he has all the tools. He just kind of needs to get that mental aspect and health issues under wraps. Kenny Stills, one of the more underrated players. Jakeem Grant, I know everyone's waiting to see him break out with that speed and kind of what he showed last season. Uh, I think you're right with Leontay Carew. I, I had high hopes for him coming out of the draft. Not quite sure I would have traded up for him at all, but I kind of liked his film at Rutgers, and he just has never developed in that kind of receiver. So you hope he gets another stab at it here in OTAs because I'm afraid he's going to be one of those Dolphin players that goes to another team and we just watch him turn into this superstar that he could have been here and he was shadowed by all these great receivers. But, yeah, this receiving core, it's definitely going to be different this year. I, th- I think he kind of – it's kind of an attest to what Adam Gase likes to do. He likes to do that those short underneath passing routes, those, those concepts. And you got – like you said, you got Amendola. He's one of those guys who just continuously gets open. Albert Wilson, I think he's underrated. I mentioned it on Twitter. I had Travis Kelsey in fantasy football, and every time I seemed to watch those games, Albert Wilson kind of flashed. I don't know if it's just because I was pissed because Travis Kelsey wasn't getting the football or what it was, but I think Albert Wilson can be good. But at the end of the day, there's no name on this receiving core other than Kenny Stills that really jumps out at you. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how it develops, but I, I can see Miami's vision, and at the end of the day, it's my team, and I, I got to root for him. So, and sticking with the wide receiver core here, we, we mentioned Kenny Stills. He was more effective in the slot last year than he was on the outside. If you were coaching this team, would you put Kenny Stills back in the slot and keep Parker on the outside? But if you do that, would you also move Wilson to the outside and have Stills and Amendola in the slot? Or do you reconfigure the wide receiver <laughs> core a different way? And do you trade Parker? Ugh, yeah, I... I don't think we can trade Devontae Parker. As alluring as that sounds and really as down as I am on Devontae Parker, I'm not real high on him. I have very limited expectations going into his fourth year. Um, Sorry, uh, yeah, sorry, going into his fourth year. I don't think he's a candidate for the fifth-year option. However, he, for whatever reason, I'll chalk this up to luck, is going to have a great opportunity this year as it currently stands because he is the only person that fulfills a certain niche in our wide receiver group. And that's what I was talking about earlier. The limited variety of the wide receiver group is what scares me. However, the silver lining, I think, and not having Jarvis is the fact that I've always felt like our offense functions better when, when we're spreading the ball around. And I think with the group that we have, there is no stud that we have, to be honest with you. Uh, sure, we can all have our moments, uh, but there's not been anybody that has been a consistent producer in the NFL thus far. So we're going to have to spread the ball around. We're going to have to manufacture yards somehow. It's going to come to Dalla Gaines and Adam Gase to draw up good schemes and game plans. Uh Certainly, there's a lot to unfold with who we might add on offense. But the fact that it sure looks like we're going to have to spread the ball around a little bit more might end up being a good thing for this offense. Because either A, we're going to move the ball a little bit better and we're going to keep defenses off balance, or B, we're not going to move defenses at all and we're going to be able to pinpoint uh, better which parts of the offense are detrimental to what's going on because we we've just seen too much mediocrity in the offense. We really need to turn a page here. So we need to start 
checking off, okay, this person's not doing anything for this offense. Let's move forward. And perhaps this offseason is kind of a breath of fresh air in the sense that, hey, look, we don't care the name on the back of your jersey. If you're not producing, you we might be moving on from you. Jarvis Landry, obviously no longer with the Miami Dolphins, but when you really look at what he did for the team, he was an underneath receiver who moved the chains but necessarily didn't make the huge plays down the field. When the, when the Miami Dolphins sh- uh, shipped Jarvis Landry to the Cleveland Browns, they received their fourth-round pick, 123rd overall, and the Browns' seventh-round pick in 2019. You look at that and you can you say, well, can the Dolphins replace Jarvis Landry in the fourth round? Sure, they could. But realistically, are they going to get a wide receiver that can contribute right away? Probably on the outside because you got two slot receivers in Amendola, Grant. Actually, Grant's probably better on the outside. But you could say Wilson's a slot guy most of the time. You could say Stills can be moved in a slot in and out. I just don't really see right now any one player in particular for the Dolphins that can stay on the outside except Devontae Parker. And we don't even know if he's going to stay on this team as we move into the draft. Now, I know people were upset about the trade compensation that Jarvis Landry got, but the fact of the matter is he was franchise tag, so a team is paying 16 mil right off the bat. He's looking for a long-term contract. He has no true value because if he doesn't get traded, he was probably going to get cut. The fourth-round pick, I guess they made something out of nothing. Matt, let me hop in real quick, and it's it's really the same as what happened with Brandon Albert, and Jacksonville ended up giving us late round compensation because they didn't want him to hit the free agent market, and I think that's what Cleveland was trying to do. They just they didn't want to get into a bidding war with anybody because how are they going to sell at that time? How are they going to sell Cleveland? So they ended up giving up the trade capital, sorry, the draft capital to just go ahead and not even let him be tested by other players. They control the negotiation. If they don't give any draft picks away, then they're kind of leaving it up to a competition with other teams that they're ultimately probably going to lose. Real, real quick on Mike Pouncey. I don't know how much you trust Jason Lockett for, but he just reported that uh, he never asked for release and that he was asked to take a 50% pay cut. So take that for what it is, but, I mean, I can understand why Mike Pounce, he didn't want to take a 50% pay cut, but it is what it is, and get back to the show, Matt. Well, hey, again, I tweeted this out a week and a half ago. This was happening, and all the reporters for the Dolphins were saying it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not happening. And today I'm drinking my Kermit the Frog tea. Anyways, back, back to what we were talking about. So, and people were upset about the trade compensation too, because they saw Tyrod Taylor go for a third round pick. And it's very simple. Tyrod Taylor is a quarterback. You will always, 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 always get better compensation for a quarterback. Unless you're one of the top five, top 10 players in the NFL without a huge contract. Just the way this league works. Look at the compensation for Marcus Peters. That didn't get a King's ransom either. And he's probably the best cornerback, if not top three, top five cornerbacks in the NFL. All right, moves the Dolphins made on the offensive line. Josh Sitton and trading for Daniel Kilgore after cutting Mike Pouncey. Daniel Kilgore, 666 passing plays last year. Only allowed four sacks, five hits, 15 hurries, 24 total pressures, a pass blocking efficiency of 97.1. 
when you look at Josh Sitton uh, as the at the offensive guard position, and it looks like Sitton will be playing a left guard alongside Laremi Tunsil and, of course, now Kilgore. When you look at his stats from Pro Football Focus, they are very good as well. He played 361 passing plays and snaps last year, allowed two sacks, one hit, nine hurries, and total pressures was 12 for an overall rating of 97.4. Sin is a little up there in age, signed a two-year deal, but will be a good stopgap. It looks like Isaac Asiata cannot be trusted, or perhaps he's just going to stay on the team as depth, which I guess is fine because you do need depth at the offensive line. Looks like Kilgore is going to be there at center, who just actually signed a three-year extension last month. But his guaranteed bonus was not due until tomorrow, which would be Friday, as we record here on a Thursday. So the 49ers were able to trade him after they signed Western Richburg out of free agency. Jesse Davis, the right guard. Juwan James, who they picked up the option, fifth year, right tackle. And like I just mentioned, Larry Tunsil at left tackle. Sounds like a good pickup for Josh Sitton, a good locker room guy. Someone who's going to come in and demand respect and take the younger guys under his wing and play with a streak of nastiness as well. Played on a lot of different teams with the Packers and the Bears and the Schemes. Familiar with offensive coordinator Dowell Loggins. And now he's here in Miami back with Loggins and also with Gase. Sutton, his name sounds very familiar to yours. So what are your thoughts (laughs) on Sutton? I know all of your phones autocorrect Sutton to Sutton. Because my name is more powerful. But to be honest with you, he's a tremendous, and I'll I'll proclaim it to everybody right now, he's he's the real prize of the offseason so far, in my opinion, in terms of an addition from another team. And here's what I'll say about this. Okay, so our our buddies at PFF have him the fifth-ranked guard from last year. Okay, let's just put that aside, That just some kind of objective floater that we're going to have in this conversation. What it told me is, wow, this front office might actually value the guard position. And that's something I've been fairly vocal about, thinking that we didn't value the guard position because we had a chance in the last offseason to upgrade guard, which we didn't. And then we ended up waiting and getting... Aziad in the fifth round and we were all drooling because he uh, punched a couple guys from the mountain West uh, out of their jock strap at the line of scrimmage. And we're all drooling over him. And then we don't even see him. I, I think maybe had three snaps last year or something like that. So we got nothing. And then it sh- certainly seems like an indictment right now in terms of how they've structured the rest of the offensive line of who they let go and then who they've brought in. Uh, it certainly seems like Jesse Davis is a more likely target for being that right guard person there. Uh, anything can happen. The NFL is a weird sport. So uh, hopefully Asiata is hopefully able to make a competition there. But to be able to have a high-quality guard with familiarity, with the offense, with our coaching staff, to bring him in, to value guard, and listen – Here's the overall point. Guard play, yes, it might be the least important position on offense, but you can't have it be a weakness because defensive coordinators, they are paid top dollar to take advantage of weaknesses. And we can't have weaknesses at guard anymore. And I think Josh Sitton's going to help us fix that. So 
just a, a great transaction for the Dolphins. And I think uh, Ryan Tannehill has got to be feeling pretty good about that. And he's also going to be feeling pretty good about his new center, Daniel Kilgore and Houts for you. Mike Pouncey used to be the best center in the game when he was younger. He's only 28 years old, which is crazy to think. So many injuries, uh, especially with his hips. Do you think Tannehill feels more comfortable with Daniel Kilgore, who's going to practice every day of the week, as opposed to Mike Pouncey, who was only practicing one day a week and not necessarily communicating as well on game day? Yeah, real quick, I just want to say I'm certain that Sutton said it best about sitting. Uh, I think I like that pickup. I think he, as much as we devalue guard play, we see what it did for the Dolphins when they didn't have a guard. So I, I love the signing. I think it is the better move of the offseason for us. But for Kilgore, I mean, that came out uh, as soon as Pouncey was cut. That came out, and it was a hell of a get. I, I hear nothing but good things from him. I'm definitely not an offensive line guru. But it sounds like as soon as he came in there, uh, Garoppolo was untouched from what I read. And he, he seems to get all the play calls right before pre-snap. And I think he's going to be a blessing in disguise for Ryan Tannehill. It's going to do wonders to have him out there every day in practice, assuming he can stay healthy, which, knock on wood, can continue to happen. But at the end of the day, the Dolphins got rid of a Pro Bowl player, Mike Pouncey, a guy that was getting paid a King's ransom, and then they brought in this Kilgore for, what, a swap of seventh-round picks. It was a hell of a trade. And you continue to see this offensive line built the right way, and I'm excited to see what he can do. And he's got a cool last name, so I'm excited to see him, Tannehill, with his hands under his butt, taking snaps. It's going to be a good year. The Dolphins have worked to restructure many contracts over the past few days to get guys like sitting in and with the release of Mike Pouncey bringing in Kilgore. But when we come back in 30 seconds, I'm going to tell you why the restructure of Ryan Tannehill does not necessarily mean he's still going to be the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. Switch to Sprint Unlimited Basic, featuring TV from Hulu and 500 megabytes of mobile hotspot. Plus, for a limited time, get five lines for only $120 per month. Hurry to a Sprint store or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Offer ends 8-16-18 after 131-2020. Pay $32 per month per line for five lines without a pay. One Hulu limited commercial plan for eligible Sprint account. MHS reduced to 3G speeds after 500 megabytes per month. Coverage and offer not available everywhere. Excludes taxes, fees, and roaming. Requires new lines. Subject to credit and 3 activation fee. Video streams up to 480p. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. And we're back here on Finsider Radio talking now about the restructuring of the contracts. I took Ryan Tannehill's, and I don't have all the numbers exactly, but they took his uh, cap hit. They downgraded it to almost a minimum, converted it to a signing bonus, and now it makes it tougher to get out of his contract in 2019. However, in just a few moments, we're going to talk about why that may not be the case in reality. But first, let's talk about Rashad Jones. Rashad Jones, the centerpiece on the Miami Dolphins in the secondary. One of the best players over the past few years on that defensive side of the ball. Plays with a ton of passion, a ton of grit. Sometimes you see him in the backfield and you don't know how he got there. But a great player nonetheless. The Miami Dolphins obviously see him as a future piece of the team for years to come. Now, in 2017, uh, about a year ago, March 9th, signed a four-year, $48 million contract extension. 
It contains 33 million in guarantees, including 20 million guaranteed at signing. His 2018 salary is fully guaranteed. Now, he converted 8.765 million of his 2018 salary to a signing bonus to provide the Dolphins with 6.57 million in salary cap relief. His cap charges in future years will increase by 2.19 million. Now let's look at his cap numbers here. The Dolphins cannot really get out of his contract until the 2020 offseason. At that point, it will be about a wash in dead money and cap savings, 8 mil in dead money, 7.5 mil in cap savings. They cut him pre-June 1st next year. It's 12 mil in dead money. Cap savings is 5 million. Obviously, post-June 1st, 2019, 13 mil in cap savings, dead money is 4 mil. So you can do the uh, post-June 1st like they did Dominican Suba. Remember that cap hit is spread out over multiple years, and you can't use that money until after June 1st. So for you, Sutton, looking at Rashad Jones, was this the right move to restructure his contract or that's always making the same mistakes like they've done in the past, such as Ndamukong and Sue, where they restructured his contract in 2016, but didn't use any of that money to do anything in free agency. Well, it's, it's interesting to think about, and, and we've heard about these uh, different formations with the secondary, what we're going to do with our safeties, what we're going to do with our, our weak side linebacker. So I think a lot needs to be figured out in that sense. We've seen Rashad play very well at the line of scrimmage and and play that kind of dollar slash rover position pretty well, and I think he can fill, fulfill that niche. So does that make free safety then a very important component of what we're trying to build on this defense? In terms of the actual restructuring of the contract, his contract didn't have the same kind of – girth that Ndamukong Suze did. So his restructuring isn't as monumental as uh, what Ndamukong Suze was at the time that they restructured his contract. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen any specifics about how much has been pushed back, but usually what we're seeing is, you know, they, they shave money off this particular, particular year and then, shift that into guaranteed money later on down the road. I don't know if you guys have seen specifics, but in general, I don't like that approach to building a team because it ends up, and what I said earlier, was front office breakdowns happen because of ego. And when you end up making a poor decision, you want to try to overcompensate for that sometimes. And you don't want to get into that habit because that ends up always you're, you're always putting the burden on someone else trying to come in and fix a problem. And then when they come in, they just got a job and they want to keep their job. So then they push things back and try to put it on something else. And someone, no one has a perspective of the organization. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for some stability here, uh, from a roster transaction standpoint, I think that's what we're seeing in free agency now under Adam Gase. We're not going out and signing the Mike Wallace's. We're going out and signing the William Hayes's, and then we're re-signing them. And I think that's a good thing for this team in terms of the uh, character build of the team and as well as fulfilling certain niches in the team. When we move over to Ryan Tannehill-Houts, over the cap is estimating that he converted 
$1.5 million to a signing bonus, saving the Dolphins about eleven point one in 2018 cap space while adding $5.56 million to 2019 and 2020 salary cap charges. Now, they don't have the exact numbers here, but in 2018, June 1st cut, it's basically a wash. 13.4 in dead money, 13.18 in cap savings. Post-June 1st cut, different. 7.8 million in dead money, 18.75 in cap savings. They wanted to trade, same same deal since they restructured the contract. 2020 offseason, 5.5 in dead money, 19.5 in cap savings. Those numbers are going to change a little bit when the official amount comes in for over the cap. But before I tell our listeners how it's, why this doesn't mean the Dolphins are necessarily tied to Tannehill for the next two years, I want to get your opinion on, one, what do you think this means for Ryan Tannehill this year and next year? And two, what does this mean for a quarterback possibly in the draft in the first few rounds? Yeah, the mystery still goes on, doesn't it? I mean, the restructure, I, I, I kind of see – and I hope that something's building up there. I mean, we saw with Indomitian Sue when he restructured, Miami had all this cap room, and I don't think they really did anything with it. You see the sit and signing. You got those receivers, but Miami's still sitting with cap space. And it just continues to see that they're they're trying to free up this money to use, and I'm not quite sure where. So I don't know if a big move's coming, if they got more money to spend in free agency, something's coming up. But at the end of the day, with this Ryan Tannehill thing, I know some people were coming out and saying that it pretty much means the Adam Gase is tied to Ryan Tannehill for the next two years. I'm not sure that's the case. I mean, we all knew Ryan Tannehill was going to be the quarterback, in my opinion, whether we drafted one at 11 or traded up for one. I think he was going to be the quarterback all along next season. I think he deserved that. I mean, what he did in Miami, he never really had a as good of an offensive line, at least on paper, as it looks like he might have this coming season. So for me, what he did in 2016, he's more than deserving of this this starting role and 2018 but what it means for the future for me personally I, I think the Dolphins still need a quarterback they, they re-signed David Fales today uh, that does not reassure me one bit whatsoever that the Dolphins are completely sold on Ryan Tannehill I think he's the guy I think Adam Gase believes he can be the guy I think Dolphin fans believe he can be the guy but at the end of the day we saw what happened when Jay Culler went down uh, that that vision stuck in my head sorry we, we saw what happened when Ryan Tannehill went down and they brought in Jay Culler this team just fell apart, and I'm not ready to see that again. I think we're all enamored by Baker Mayfield. I don't think there's a person out there that doesn't like Baker Mayfield, the Lamar Jacksons, even if they trade it for a Josh Rosen. I mean, the quarterbacks are there. If Miami has the ammunition and the balls to do it, I say go for it. I don't think this move really solidifies Tannehill as a 2020 starter. I think he's going to be the, the starter this coming year, but what the Dolphins do after this season, it's anyone's guess, and at the end of the day, I'm rooting for the guy. I hope that he can stay healthy and continue where he, he left off in 2016. But uh, in my opinion, this doesn't change anything with what the Dolphins should do in the first round. I'm kind of over that whole second, third, fourth round. Those those kind of lesser commodities, a quarterback. I want the Baker Mayfield. So if this team needs a quarterback, which I think they do, David Fales doesn't reassure me that they, they're feeling good about where they're at right now. So I'd move up. I'd, I'd stay put and hope Mayfield falls. but. This Ryan Tannehill thing won't change any of that for me. Ryan Tannehill, there's been so much smoke around the Dolphins drafting a quarterback in the first round of the NFL draft coming up in a little over a month from now. The names have been surrounding Baker Mayfield. I'm told the Dolphins also like Josh Rosen just as much. 
possibility the Dolphins trade up with the Cleveland Browns probably need to pay a lot. I floated on Twitter Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon, Laramie Tunsil to the Browns. They need a left tackle. I was killed. My mentions were killed with that. We'll touch on that in the next few weeks. I do want to dive into that a little more. But we don't know what the Dolphins' plan is, obviously. It could be a smokescreen. It might not be. Joe Shad on the Joe's Rose Show on Thursday morning explained it pretty perfectly. He said the Dolphins, by cutting a Dominican Sue, even with the post-June 1st cut, taking the total cap hit combined over the next two, three years, it's the largest dead cap money in NFL history. Do you think the Dolphins are going to be scared by $13 million post-June 1st cut, where it's basically a wash and it's spread out over two, three years? They're not going to. And as we saw this year, they can just restructure contracts. So let's say they extend Juwan James. Let's say they find another player on the team who's coming up towards the end of his contract and they restructure that one or assign to a long-term extension. There are so many ways around all of this that you really don't need to worry about how much cap space a team has. They will find ways to get it done. It's more of a cash flow type of thing where it comes down to that. So the Dolphins, in my opinion, won't be afraid to do anything. And especially with the post-June 1st cut, they are carrying a lot of money over from Adamic and Sue into 2019. And they're going to free up more as they make cuts next year, as they do different things. So I'm not worried about that, and neither are the Dolphins. If the Dolphins draft a rookie in the first, second round of the NFL draft, and he shows a lot of promise, or perhaps he gets into a few games if Tannehill gets hurt, God forbid, then they could easily move on from him next year. Tannehill is the starter this year going into the season. That restructure guarantees that. They're not going to trade him right away. But we don't know how long Ryan Tannehill is going to last. Tannehill needs to ball this year and stay healthy. As I look at him more and more, I get excited. But I still would not be opposed to the Dolphins drafting a quarterback in round one. And my preferred preference is Baker Mayfield. If they don't draft a quarterback, they will get a very good player at 11. Hopefully they don't trade down or if they do just a few slots, but they're going to get a very good player nonetheless. So, you know, that's really how it's going to come down for Ryan Tannehill. It's not the Dolphins are committed to him for two years. They're committed to him for one year. And that's really all that's what it is. All right. Twitter has been blowing up the past few days. Our mailbag has not been, we have one question. So Sutton, what do we have from the Finsider mailbag? We have a question from alpha about the running back position and we haven't done anything on that front. So is there anybody that we're looking for in the draft? And if so, who in particular? Yeah, for me, I mean, Saquon Barkley is a pipe dream. I think there's bigger issues there in the first round, but after that, I mean, you got the Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, you got Rashard Penny. I mean, there's a couple guys out there, Ronald Jones from USC uh, I know C.J. Anderson, I think Adam Gase is just sitting there licking his chops, waiting for him to get released up there in Denver. So, I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm looking. I'm kind of waiting to see what Denver does with C.J. Anderson. I think that's kind of what Gase is doing. And then from there, I mean, this draft class is loaded. There's guys in the second, third, fourth round that you can get to come in there and just have an immediate impact. And as we know, we got Kenyon Drake. They're fixing the offensive line. I know he had injury history uh, during his college years a little bit there, but Kenyon Drake looked like the truth of his final games of the year when he finally got his chance. 
So I'm I'm all in on Kenyon Drake. I think Damian Williams would be a nice signing too to bring him back, but uh, I won't panic at running back. I, I won't overpay for anyone. I'd sit back. I'd, if Gase wants C.J. Anderson, I'd wait, try to get him to a team-friendly deal. If not, maybe try to do the same with Damian Williams. But at the end of the day, this draft's loaded with talent. Uh, I know Miami had some interest in Darius Geis. I think he'd be a first-round pick. So unless they're taking him at 11 or training down, I really don't see that happening. But there's definitely some guys in there in that second, third, fourth-round range that could come in and, and have immediate impact. So I think that's where Miami's going to turn their attention if the C.J. Andersons don't fall, follow through. The Dolphins are still not done. They have to address the tight end position, the backup quarterback position. Although they bring back David Fales, but he's not the answer there, I don't think. They have to address the defensive tackle position. They have to address the linebacker position. They have to address a few more things before they head into the NFL season. We'll see how free agency shakes out over the next few days and weeks as we head into the NFL draft. Any last thoughts on anything that's happened over the past week and a half? How it's resigned? Yeah, you just mentioned it. I mean, we're going into the second wave of free agency here and think of how many holes we've crossed off on our list here. So we're long story short, getting to that point where we can start going best player available. And I think everyone would would agree. And most front office people would agree. That's the position teams want to be in. They want to be able to draft the best player available on their boards. Yeah, and I think we touched on it a little bit last week. I know I've said it before. This team, they like to patch those holes in free agency, whether it's the right or wrong way. Uh, this year in particular, it looks like it's the right way. So continue to go out there to get the talent to at least at least field a team out there. And You need to get a tight end. You need to get some running back depth. You need to find another backup quarterback. I guess they did with David Fales. But at the end of the day, the Dolphins are going to turn their attention to the draft, and that's where – teams build for the future and I'm looking forward to see what this team can do especially after what they've done in free agency all right that is going to do it for this week on Finsider Radio for Sutton the Creepy Soccer Dad and Houts MD I am MC Money thank you for listening we'll talk to you next time
Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.